You are listening to a message from Shorebreak Church's Gatherings by Travis Scott. You can get connected with more content at shorebreakchurch.com. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, but you got mobile devices that are connected to the internets, you can go to uversion.com or bust out your Bible app and get dialed in with everything that you need to there. John chapter 5. And as you're turning there, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, at this moment, our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. And we want to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Imagine everything in your life that you've worked so hard on, that you've built your life upon, imagine that thing ended up being wrong. Just completely, flat out wrong. I mean, you spent time, you spent money, you put tears into it, you have worked very hard on it for many years, and then you come, what, what turns out after all of that? It's meaningless. I mean, that would be a pretty big disappointment, would it not? That would be pretty, a pretty major bummer for sure. Well, Jesus is doing that just with the religious people. There are religious people who Jesus just goes up to them and like pulls the rug out from under them. They've been building their life upon, working on very hard, dedicating their life to the work of the ministry, like we saw last week in the first half of, in the earlier portions of John 5. And what Jesus told them was, yeah, you can't honor God without honoring me. You think you can make much of his name? You think you can worship God? You can't. Without honoring God, you can't do that unless you go through Jesus. Because Jesus said himself, hey, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get to God, you got to go through me. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheepfold. So he's telling them, that even though they go to the temple and worship, they aren't honoring, glorifying God. So what he's doing is just saying, everything that you guys have dedicated your life towards, he's just pulling the rug right out from under them. That's a pretty big disappointment. You can see how these religious guys are missing it, and of course they don't see it. I read this week about Florida Governor Rick Scott. Uh, There's an uh, epidemic that's beginning to happen. No one knows how big it's going to become. But meningitis is breaking out uh, in Florida. And so part of precautionary measures, uh, Rick was in a meeting on Tuesday, this last Tuesday, when he announced a toll-free hotline number to the state as a public announcement saying, if you have concerns or you need help with meningitis issues, call this one 866 and so on number. The only thing is, though, the governor accidentally mixed up the numbers. 
And so people are thinking, oh, well, I'm going to call and get some help for, through the meningi- meningitis hotline. But what he accidentally gave out instead was a sex hotline. <laughs> like epic fail from the governor of Florida, right? And so all these people are busting out their phones like, I need help. I'm sick. So I'm going to pull out my phone and call. And they're like, I'm like, oh, that's not right. And so they obviously had the wrong number. And I'm sure that was interesting for many people in Florida for the couple hours that lasted until the governor reworked that for sure. Where they're calling for help, but they were dialing the wrong number. For the religious people, all their worship, all their sacrifice, all of their praise, not to God. They weren't calling the right number now because Jesus, God, is here and he is alive and he is in the flesh. And they're like going through the old system still. It's like, bro, you're dying on the wrong number. You think you're talking to God. You think you're doing these things to honor God. But the son of God is here and you're missing it. You're completely missing it. The crazy thing, though, is they didn't even know it. They their eyes weren't open to that. And you see that theme reoccurring a lot through the Gospel of John when people's eyes are not opened and they don't see Jesus for who he is. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians thirteen five. Examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Christ Jesus is among you. If not, You have failed the test of genuine faith. So we can test ourselves in the faith. And if these religious leaders were to take this test of faith that Paul challenges us here tonight in 2 Corinthians 13, they would have failed. They did not have Jesus. Because you see, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. If you don't get Jesus, you don't get anything. If you don't see Jesus, you don't see the way life was intended to, me, to, to be and how it's to be lived. And these guys didn't see it. They missed Jesus, so they missed everything. Man, that's a fail. Everything they had worked on was wrong. And so Jesus here takes this liberty to preach this incredible sermon to all of these religious people about himself. He's like, all right, you want to know who I am? Here's who I am. There's no questions. I'm going to unapologetically preach to you who I am. And what we saw last week, and you can download it on podcast later or listen to it at shorebreakchurch.com for those of you who are new. Jesus basically, ultimately, boldly proclaims, I am God. I'm not a subversion of God. I am not the puppet master to God. I am God. Jesus proclaims that. And that would have been, of course, incredibly offensive. So Jesus continues the second portion, and we do tonight with him, of this incredibly offensive gospel proclamation of who God is. Now, our tendency, or the tendency toward passivity in listening to a sermon is part of our human weakness. Say that one more time. The tendency toward passivity in listening to a sermon is part of our human weakness. I'm preaching this to myself too. Often, 
when we hear God's word going out, and as Jesus gives out this sermon, and this is not my sermon tonight, this is Jesus' sermon. These are his words we are going to expose and talk about and look at. Like the Jewish religious leaders, we often can try to downplay much of what he says, right? Oh, for that guy, for that girl sitting next to me. That's not, oh, that, that'd be really good for my friend, actually, but not for me. Don't even go there. We can often try to downplay what he says, and that's part of our condition as sinners. But Jesus will not let us wiggle off the hook on this one. He goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It's like, all right, can you back off, Jesus? It's like, no, I'm not going to back off. And so tonight, we're not going to back off as we go into God's word. Now in John 5, this is going to expose areas in our life that we, that you and that I need help with. Because Jesus is going to attack the core of who we are. He's going to attack the very heart issue that you struggle with and that I struggle with. This isn't like your warm and fuzzies message. You know what I'm saying? There are those messages. You're like, oh, I love church, man. It's like warm and fuzzy. I feel good. I'm just going to grab my Snuggie, get in a cuddle sandwich, enjoy some hot cocoa at the campfire, right? It's not one of those messages. Now, Jesus does encourage, and we've had those messages, um, but if we are going to become more like the image of God's son, Jesus, there, is, there are some things in our life and in my life that need to be extracted, roots that need to be taken out, sin that needs to be uprooted from our dark hearts. And it's painful when that happens. So today we go under the knife of God's word from Jesus himself, from verse 30 to verse 47, for some much-needed open-heart surgery. And as I've been praying over this, God has been doing that even within my own life, and it's been awesomely painful, but of course it's for my better and for your better, so that we would amplify and make much of Jesus. Look at verse 30 with me. I can do nothing on my own, Jesus speaking, As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus here is reiterating the point again to the religious people and to us tonight that he is directly in sync with God. He is directly doing, when God steps, Jesus steps. When God says something, Jesus says something. Jesus created the universe, God created the universe. God breathed life to the man, Jesus breathed life to the man. That's what Jesus is like, in case you missed it the first time, I want you to get it the second time. Now ultimately though, Jesus is delivering this one-liner here that's going to drive the rest of the sermon home that he's giving. It's going to be the point that he builds all other subpoints off of that we are going to look at as he's preaching about himself. So he's going to launch off this one point. So like, what is the point? What, what, What do we see here? The second half of verse 30. What is his main point? I seek not my own will, but the will of him. Not my will, but the will of him. It's not about me 
Jesus is saying. It's about God. It's not about my will, but it's about his will. So we've called our message tonight, not me, but him. Not me, but him. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. So who is this person? Who is this figure? Well, there's two people. First, verse 33, you sent John as he bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Jesus is trying to build a bridge here, if you guys can see, with these religious men. He's like, you received John. You're so close to receiving me. Just can't you guys get it? But they didn't. Verse 35, he was burning in a shining lamp. What a description. Man, that would be awesome if Jesus would say that about us. Are we burning and shining lamps for his glory? And you were willing to rejoice for a while with his white light. But the testimony that I have is greater than John. So who's the second witness to Jesus? For the works that the Father, all right, now he's busting out the big name, God, has given me to accomplish the very works that I am doing. Bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus is like, yeah, I don't need man's testimony. You guys think you could need man's testimony. saying, but I don't need man's testimony. I have God on my side because I am God. I don't need someone to make me feel good and someone to approve of me. And, and Jesus is talking to the people who are supposed to know God, but they don't believe in God. I mean, these guys have the title. They got the ministry position. They're supposed to know God, but they don't believe in God. These people would rather hear from John, the baptizer. Yeah, John the baptizer, that crazy guy, like Red Bull drinking, cockroach eating, John the baptizer. The guy who's like got this massive gnarly beard, who wears weird clothes, he's got a camel coat. You'd rather hear from him than God himself? And that's who these people would rather hear from. And so you can see as he is continuously beginning to press on them deeper and further and pulling that rug out from under them. Now, why aren't they believing? I believe that this theme of why they aren't believing, because Jesus mentions belief here quite a bit in his sermon, why aren't they believing? Why don't they believe? I think there are five reasons why Jesus gives us here as we are going to continue to study. Five reasons why they don't believe. And these five reasons will also apply to us for why we don't believe or at times why we struggle in believing in God. And the first is this. God's word isn't in you. God's word isn't in you. Look at verse 37. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has has sent. We're going to jump down here because this ties within this point, verse 45. 
Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? First thing we see is Jesus saying, God's word isn't in you. That is kind of like a pretty offensive thing for him to say to them. And it's like the obvious. It's like, yeah, you should get that. The Bible is about God, right? I mean, it's like when you go to Disneyland. Um, what is Disneyland about? Disney. Who's the main character? Mickey Mouse. And Disney has done a great job of making sure that you get that Mickey Mouse is the theme there. In case you missed it on your way to the park and you missed that creepy guy who's like running around in the costume and you always wonder who is under the mask. I just want, like, who is behind, who is in there? I don't even know if I want to know because sometimes it just makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't know why. But in case you miss Jesus, I mean, in case you miss, you know, Mickey Mouse on the way in, in case you miss, you know, the, the, the circle and the two little circle for the ears, there are even secret Mickey Mouses that are all over the place throughout the park. And most people don't know this. In fact, uh, you can go take a tour of Disney and they will have a guy who will show you where many of the secret little Mickey Mouses are throughout the park. So you can be, uh, you know, like, it's a small world, the most annoying ride in the entire globe. Um, it's, it's, yeah. So there's like Mickey Mouse, there's a little logo emblems in there and then if, on your way into the restroom or by, you know, a drinking fountain or when you're eating in a cafeteria, they have all these hidden things. So in case you missed, the big thing when you walked in, you took a side entrance, you hopped on the monorail and got in. You won't miss it throughout the park. You're not supposed to miss it. That's like the main thing. Jesus is saying, you're missing the main thing. Because they didn't see Jesus in the Bible. They didn't see the Messiah in the Bible. See, when you read the Bible, it always points to Jesus first. When you open this book, and you're like, all right, God, I want to see what you're going to say. No, no, no. When you open this book, it always points to Jesus first. And how often when we pick it up, it's like, all right, here we go. It's like, look, you know, we, we, we try to open up. It's like, well, what points to me? And it's like, oh, this point, this, maybe this part's for me, and this is good. Or, oh, this verse. Oh, if my boyfriend could read this verse right now, or my friend, or my spouse, or a student, if they had, man, if this, I, I got this verse for them. And you go, you don't even pray about it, and you walk over, and you're like, all right, I'm going to drop some Bible smack on you. You know, see, when we open this book, the first thing we should see and look for in Scripture is Jesus. You can't miss that. That is the main point. It always points to Bible, the Bible always points to Jesus first when we read it. And if you want to fail when reading the Bible, because there is a wrong way to read your Bible, see yourself in the Bible first before you see Jesus. Or see someone else and their circumstance first. When you open this book and you see it through the lens of Christ crucified and risen from the grave, it makes sense. It comes to life. And the Holy Spirit works in you through that. And when you don't see Jesus in the Bible, as you read the Bible you will end up living in condemnation. Have you ever picked up the Bible and you've read it and you just feel completely condemned? Conviction is one thing. Condemnation is another thing. 
Sometimes you feel so convicted, so condemned, like, how could I pick this thing up again? All it does is it exposes all of my problems, all the issues that are wrong with me. And when you don't see Jesus, when you don't read about Jesus in the Bible, no wonder you're reading it wrong. Because you, you see, man, love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are you kidding me? Who has done that? Like, I give God like 5% of my energy and heart half the time. That's on a good day, you know? Like, I feel condemned. Yeah, but you know what? Jesus did love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so because you read that through Jesus, because you are Jesus, and God gives you Jesus' righteousness, you don't read it in condemnation anymore. Now, sure, there are things that God will do, and he is doing, and uprooting, and, and removing sin that needs to be removed, and, and as we're going to continue through the study tonight. But when you don't see Jesus in the Bible, you end up living in condemnation and reading the Bible as a condemned Christian. And of course, if you aren't a Christian, you are condemned already. So repent and give your life to Christ. I love what Martin Luther said, though, about this. He who would correctly and profitably read Scripture should see to it that he finds Christ in it. Then he finds life eternal without fail. When you open this book, Ask the Holy Spirit to give you the eyes to see Jesus in the scriptures and you will not be condemned. You will be convicted, but you, not, you, you won't be knocked down and destroyed. You will have encouragement from him because God's word will take you beyond your sins so that you will see Jesus. It will do that. When you are in this book and you love Jesus and you see him, it's going to take you past your sin so that you would see the glory of Jesus. The Bible never leaves you in a state of condemnation when you read it as a Christian. So, all that to say, God's word wasn't in them. Jesus uses the phrase, God's word wasn't abiding in you. It's not abiding in you. That's what he says. In verse 38, if you want to underline that word abiding and write this down, abiding, that word is mano. It's a verb meaning remaining. That word means remaining. Now you think, yeah, obviously, abiding, remaining, same thing. But it's interesting because it's a verb and it's constant. So God's word should continuously and actively be remaining in you. Shouldn't just be in you, but it should be doing something in you. It's, it's an action that's taking place inside of you. God's word should be actively, continuously be remaining within you. And for these religious leaders, that's not the case. They couldn't say what King David said over Israel in Psalm 119. I will meditate on your precepts. God's word saturated David's life. So much so that even his thoughts, when, when, when David would think about God, he would meditate, or when, he just, when his mind would be moving, he'd be saturated in the word of God. Now, got to go back though. What did the Pharisees build their life on? The Old Testament, the Bible. Really? Okay, so they built their life studying the Old Testament. They would have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all memorized. How is God's word not abiding in them? 
So you just said, Jesus just said, well, God's word isn't abiding in you. And even they would have been like, what are you talking about, Jesus? This makes no sense at all. They had God's word, but God's word didn't have them. They knew God's word, but God's word didn't know them. Maybe you know God's word. Maybe you have God's word, but does God's word have you? Do you let it shape the way you think? Do you let it change your mind? Do you let it affect the way you spend your money, the way you talk, the way you do work, the way you just do life? God's word didn't have them. And does God's word have you? Does God's word have a grip on your heart? David said in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word had a death grip, a vice grip on David's heart. And that's what we need too. You know, maybe we have God's word, but does God's word have us? And ultimately, John 1 tells us that the word is Jesus. So does Jesus have you? Have you let Jesus infiltrate your life? So first point, God's word isn't in you. It's an area that is a cause for doubt. The second thing we see in verse 40, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Second thing we see here, Jesus is like, you don't want me. (laughs) You simply don't want me. They don't believe in Jesus because they don't want Jesus to begin with. They want nothing to do with God. And in their pursuit for eternal life, as they're reading scripture, and as they're in the word, trying to find everlasting life, the moment they kind of start connecting the dots and say, maybe Jesus, nope, I don't want Jesus. That's not what I expected. Because if Jesus is the way to eternal life, I don't want it. And Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have eternal life. What a jab Jesus is taking here. I mean, do you guys see how offensive this is? Like the sword, like Jesus stabbed him, he poked him. Now it's like going in deeper. And it's gonna continuously go in deeper until he just hits a nerve with them and eventually to the point where they get so angry with him, they crucify him. But John three nineteen kind of exposes, actually sheds some light, so to speak, on why they don't want to repent and believe in him. And this is, judge, this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. People don't want Jesus because they love their sin more. People don't want to worship Jesus because they are happy with where they're at. They're comfortable there. That's from Jesus' mouth himself of why people don't believe in him. 
And that darkness affects, and, and this idea of us not giving in to Jesus affects even our religion. Because if we can have morality and religion without Jesus, we're comfortable with that, right? We want compassion without the cross. We want the good news, but we don't want the gospel. We want community, but we don't want the church. We're okay with the talk, but no, no sermons, no sermons. And we're okay with Christianity often, but we are not okay with a crucified Christ. And religion has a way of trying to make things comfortable so that we don't really want Jesus, but we are happy with other things other than Jesus. And you, you and I, we've talked to those people, right? Haven't you? You know, you've heard your friend and they're like venting to you and they don't know the Lord and they're just like, man, here is what I am going through. My spouse did this. My boyfriend cheated on me. This person died. I don't get it. And they're coming to you for answers. It's happened to you, I'm sure. And they're like, what? Do you have any, can you just explain to me? I mean, you seem like life's going actually pretty well for you, even when times are bad. What is the deal? What's going on? And you're like, I'm so glad you're asked. You're thinking in your mind, it's like, I can't wait to share. And you're like, you know what? Here's how I'm able to go through the things. When I feel abandoned, I know that Jesus, who is God, is there with me. And when I'm struggling, I know that Jesus is struggling. He is there with me and is compassionate towards me. And Jesus is the answer to your problems. Oh, what do they do? They cut you off. They're like, no. No, I don't want Jesus. And your heart's broken, isn't it? You're like, dang it. Dude, can you just see? Can you just get it? Jesus will fix your problems. He's the answer to your problems. And you don't want anything to do with them. And that's the sad reality. And that's what's even happening with here. They're still dialing the wrong number. And Jesus is like, you need help, but you're calling the wrong, you're calling the wrong people. And you're misleading people. Because they're, they're leading people and people are following them and leading, following their leading example. So they didn't want him. I do not receive glory from people, verse 41. But I do not, but, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So we see secondly, they didn't want him. And third, Jesus says, you don't have God's love. (laughs) Going deeper, getting closer, like a shiatsu massage, it's getting more and more painful. They're beginning to sweat. Their adrenaline is going they could they'd probably kill him on the spot Jesus like God's love isn't even in you that is crazy and Jesus says I don't receive glory from people Jesus like basically saying what is he saying you're so full of yourself religious people there's no room for God's love inside of you you're so full of loving yourself and loving the praise of other people there's no room for God's love within your own heart you're just full of yourself. And Jesus is making it abundantly clear. Jesus isn't asking for like, so did I do okay in my sermon, Pharisees? Like, are there any points you can help me out with this? You know, can I pull this together? Can I be more creative here? Jesus doesn't need their glory and affection to stroke his ego. Jesus is quite all right without the glory from man. 
especially these people. And they desired love from others so much, so badly, they couldn't love God. They desired love from everything else but God, from the world. They desired whatever love the world had to offer. There was no room for God's love within their own life. They couldn't love God. And John, who wrote this gospel, also wrote another book called 1 John. And in chapter 2, verse 15, he penned this. Do not love this world. Do not love this world nor the things that it offers to you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So now we can connect it. They loved the world. They loved praise from people. They desired love from others for their identity. So they stopped loving God. And when we desire love from others, when we desire love from technology, when we desire love from a relationship, when we desire love from a car or money, any of those things, that is in turn taking over our identity and we do not, and we stop loving God automatically. We can't love God because we love the world too much. Well, Jesus, like, how can that be? You're so jealous. You're saying you want all of me? You, you're jealous for me? Yeah, he is. Because he doesn't share his glory with another, the Bible tells us. He wants all of you or none of you. He wants you to be hot or he wants you to be cold. But you really can't blame him, right? I mean, sometimes you think, what a selfish God. He wants all of me. How could he want all of me? What if your boyfriend came up to you? He's like, hey, baby, what's going on? You're like, I'm good. You know, and you're like, well, okay, well, here, let's talk about some things. I'm actually, just so you know, I want to let you know, I'm sure you're going to be okay with it, but I'm actually dating 10 other girls right now. So I'm, I'm dating like 11 girls total. And listen, I know this is a lot to take in, and I know you're only going to be able to see me once a month now, only go on a date once a month, because I got to spend time with all these other chicks. And oh, and just so you know, when we go out to dinner, I actually can't pay. You're going to have to pay because I don't have any money because I'm wasting all my money on all these other people. Now, in our minds, we're like, that is the most ridiculous illustration ever. We get that, right? Of course we do. A stupid girl would stay in that relationship. We're okay with the idea of exclusive love, are we not? Well, that is a character that God has created us in his image that he is. God wants your love for him to be exclusive. God doesn't share his love. He wants all of you or none of you. And I hope that God wouldn't say that about you. God's love, I don't see in you. Would Jesus say that about you? Is there evidence of God's love in your life? It's going in deeper and deeper and deeper. And Jesus just, now he's like turning it. You see him like, he's like going in and like turning that now. And he's ripping open the rib cage and he's getting to the heart of the matter, but we're still not there yet. Verse 43 says this. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his, no name, is in his own name, you will receive him. So forth here, we see Jesus, and we're going to mention this briefly, but Jesus says, you don't receive me. You don't receive me. It's like when I say, what's up? You just like drop it and you leave. And I call you, you ignore my calls. I ask to be your friend. You 
just ignored me and left me on Facebook purgatory forever. You won't follow me on Twitter. Like, they didn't receive Jesus. Jesus is like, you would, you know, basically, religious people, you would rather have another type of savior other than me. I didn't meet your expectations, so you didn't receive me. You had your problem. And so you're hoping that by you all of a sudden praying a prayer and, and doing this thing and reading your Bible for a week that I'm gonna solve all your problems. And because I didn't solve the problems that you solved, I didn't come and take over and, and bring down Rome and take care of all of the issues politically. You just wanna throw me out and write me off because I didn't meet your needs? But Jesus goes, of course, past their needs. And Jesus doesn't deal with our needs. He always deals with our wants. See, what these people wanted influenced how they read the scripture. What we want, what you want so badly, whatever that thing, there's a thing that pops up in your mind right now, or that person, or whatever it is, what you want so badly often will shape what we believe. And that's why sometimes when you, when you hear these people, they got like, all right, I'm gonna tell you five steps of why women cannot wear shoes. And it's like, what? Like, where do you see them in the Bible? And they start picking apart the, cra- it's like, <laughs> what we want influences what we believe. And some people come up with some pretty crazy stuff. And so when you want Jesus, generally, what, everything else works itself out pretty well. <laughs> But often we can become lopsided. They didn't want, they didn't receive Jesus. Fifth and finally, let's look at verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus, fifth and finally, says, you cannot believe. You can't believe. Where's the hope in that, Jesus? <laughs> saying, I, I can't believe? What Jesus is saying to these people, how can you believe when you love to be worshipped and praised by people? When you live for the pat on the back? When you're so fearful of man that you worship man so that you would be approved. Even for me, this is true. I, I could say, hey, this message better be good so that you guys will like it and that you'll come back and you won't, you know? I mean, this, this applies to all of us. These people worship the praise of other people. They wanted people to praise them. They wanted people to, they want to be the center of attention. And Jesus is making this bold statement here. He's like, You can't believe in me. You're receiving the glory for yourself. How do you expect to receive glory from me, to be changed, to be new, when you want to be worshipped by people? Now, none of us, none of us can escape this. We all struggle with different levels of this. Some of us, it's more visible than others. But the Bible tells us that the unregenerate heart, the person who is not born again, does not desire God. The unregenerate heart is incapable of desiring God. 
And I could give you tons of verses, but really quicker, uh, Colossians 2.13 says this, but you were dead in your sins, and because of your sinful nature, was not yet cut away. But then God made you alive. Who made you alive? God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. It's Colossians 2.13, Romans 3.11. Paul says, there is no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. So wait, and when I read that verse, that, that bothered me. It's like, wait, no one seeks God? Really? No, that does not say that. Um, yeah, actually it does. And then Jesus, of course, said, you must be born again. And then Nicodemus like, well, how can I be born again, Jesus? And, Nicod- and, and Jesus said to him, it's like, you know, where the wind blow, the wind blows where it wishes. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. And when you think about that, it's like, whoa, left on our own, we are incapable of believing in God? Yeah, because if we are dead in our sins, last time I checked, do dead people have desires for anything? No, they're dead. Like, you don't see a dead person going to Jack in the Box, right? I mean, you just don't, there's no desire. They're not hungry. They're not thirsty. They're, they're, they're dead. And if we're dead in our sins, we have no desire to believe in God. And Jesus says, how can you believe? That's what he says here in verse 44. Now you think, well, how did you get from that to saying you can't? Jesus is saying, you are incapable of believing. He's not asking a question as much as he is making a statement. You can't. Now this doesn't settle well. I, I understand this may not settle well with you. Because culturally today, everything, everything is created around our choices what we want, what we choose, right? You go to Starbucks. You walk into Starbucks. Did you know that there are 87,000 drink combinations at Starbucks? 80, actually, there's more now because they have newer drinks. So you have 87,000 options for drink combinations. So like, really, are you, what would you, I mean, you can walk in. All right, I want a cappuccino. Well, what size? Do you want a tall? Do you want a grande? Do you want a venti? And you're like, what is a grande and a venti? I don't even know. Just, just give me my drink. I'm like, okay, well, you want a cappuccino. Do you want that wet? Do you want that dry? Do you want that ice? Do you want that hot? Do you want an extra shot? Do you want a decaf? Do you want, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. Do you want whole milk? Do you want 2%? Do you want? Okay, I get it. I, I have choices. I have options here. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Coke Freestyle Fountain Machine. I've been following this thing since like Coke first released a concept of it in a few test markets. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's not like your typical ghetto vending machine. You know, you got your quarters, you drop in four quarters, and you get like a Coke or a Sprite or a root beer. You walk up to this thing. First off, it's touchscreen, so it's really nice. And you walk up to it, and this Coke Freestyle machine, you can pick the, the different flavors. And it's like all about your choice, you know? And so right now, the popular flavor on the Coke, uh, this Coke Freestyle machine is um, Sprite with peach. So you can have like Sprite with peach, or you can do root beer with vanilla, or you can do uh, whatever. I mean, the combinations really are endless. In fact, on their website, their motto, their slogan for this Coke Freestyle machine is they've been growing and adding more and more and it's into its version 3.0 for it. They've called it the Fountain of You. And this is what it says on their thing. Explore refreshment your way with over 100 choices at your command from sparkling to diet to caffeine-free, it's all here, right at your fingertips. Some brands you know and love, 
Some are only available on Coca-Cola freestyle fountains. It's like, sweet. Well, we don't have one in here, Hawaii. I already checked, so don't go around looking for it. I am praying that we get one, though. Maybe, maybe not. We like choices. We like options. We like, oh, yeah, I got my, I got my choices here. Listen, choices left on your own, maybe not with the freestyle machine, but choices within your own life, on your own ability, left on your own, you will make bad choices. You will wreck your life. So you got, is there proof for that in the Bible? Yes, there is actually. In Genesis, in the beginning, when everything was perfect, when everything was amazing, why was it amazing? Well, I don't know, a husband and wife walking around naked and unashamed, that's a good day for you, okay? Just saying, let, let the cat out of the bag there. And not that, but think about this. They had perfection. They didn't even have belly buttons, okay? Did Adam and Eve have a belly button? No, they did not because they were not born from someone. God made them out of dust. Pretty amazing. So no, they did not have a belly button. And the chicken came first, settled. End, end of story, there. Um, but in perfection, living in the Garden of Eden, walking in the cool of the day, they were perfect people. They were sinless. Life was good, was it not? It was amazing. They could eat of whatever they wanted to. They had perfect harmony and relationship with God. But even in perfection, how did that turn out? Even in that beautiful Garden of Eden, as perfect people, what did refreshment their way look like? What were their choices? God or this forbidden fruit? See, man, when left up to our own choices, by default we choose sin. It's just how it is. Even in perfection. Adam and Eve are like amazing, right? They're better than you and I. They live longer. They, I'm sure, looked better. And they knew God way more intimately. I mean, if anyone would represent mankind in the garden for perfection, it would be them because they were perfect for a season. Yet we see that in perfection, they, chose, they still chose sin because with perfect circumstances, we still do not choose God. And that's why Jesus said, you can't believe. You can't. You don't have the ability within you as an unregenerated, born again Christian. You can't. But then Jesus says, well, you must be born again. Like, all right, I'll be born again. You can't believe. Verse 45 and 47 here in closing. Do you not think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one who accuses you, Moses, of whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, would you not believe in me? For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words. Jesus is like, here's the deal, guys. You don't believe in what Moses said, but everything Moses wrote to in the law was pointing to me. You can't fulfill the law, even though you're trying to, but here am I, the, the fulfillment of the law. And you can't see that. You miss that. You miss when Moses was in the desert, everyone was thirsty and complaining. When Moses took his rod and striked it more than God told him to, I was the rock that was gushing out. I was the bronze serpent that was raised up. You miss that all? You miss that all. 
And they didn't see it. Their eyes were not open. They could not believe. They would not believe. Partly because they were relentless in their unbelief. Their hearts were hard. But you guys, I want you guys to see this through this all. Jesus does want them to believe. Jesus wants you to believe, and Jesus wants you to grow in your faith. That's why he took the time to preach this. That's why John took the time through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record this, so that we would know this fact, that God loves you, that he cares for you, that he's a plan for your life, that he doesn't want you to go to hell, but he wants you to go to heaven. He wants you to believe, and not just to believe, but to grow in your faith and experience the life abundance Not great life, not perfect life, not the best life you can have now, but a life that is better because you have been given the life of Jesus, a life that is eternal. And Jesus, as the light of the world, now is exposing. He's getting to it. The knife is going almost as deep as it can go. He's opening up the rib cage. Here we go. What is the core issue Jesus is attacking of who we are? Well, let me just first say this. It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is, what your nationality is, if you're local, if you're Irish, if you're Howley, if you're blonde-haired, blue eyes, dark-skinned, brown eyes, if you like Taylor Swift, if you don't like Taylor Swift, it doesn't matter. God sees through it all, and we all share the same core problem. And what is this core problem? What is the core problem, actually, let's even take it further, of this whole book? You boil down the problem that we see in man's life within this book. What is the core condition of all mankind? Look at verse 44. Jesus reveals it here. How can you believe when you receive glory from another, do not seek the glory that comes only from God? You can't believe Jesus and our biggest problem in our growth in Jesus is because we want to be worshipped. It's like, no, really? No, I I don't want to be worshipped. I don't, I don't. Really? No, you you do. I want to be worshipped. You want to be worshipped. Jesus is telling them, you can't believe to these religious men. You can't. Believe because you love people's praises more than you love God's approval for you. It feels good to be in the center, doesn't it? It does. It feels good. And all of us have this condition. We all want to be worshipped. I mean, and in this sort of way. And Lady God got, got it right. It's like we're born this way. We really are. We are born with a condition to be worshipped. Now, I'm not saying a baby is not, I'm not going to even go there, but okay, a baby from the moment it's born, wants to be worshipped. It cries, feed me. When they get older, do you have to teach your kids to be selfish and to want all their needs to be met? No. You have to teach your kids to be good, to counteract the bad, because we're automatically born to desire to be worshipped. And we cheat on God's love with the love of man instead of the love of God. We cheat on God's love with the love of man by not receiving the love of God. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Because Jesus still loves you. He still pursues you. 
He still wants you. He's not done. He's not done with me, even though I want myself to be worshipped at times. Now, our hearts are being renewed. We are regenerated. We're being transformed. We are becoming more in the image and the likeness of God. Verse 43 tells us that we would be ready to receive Jesus if he came in his own name. So what does that mean? Basically, if Jesus came in his own name, like, yep, all right, Here's what we're going to do. Here's my agenda. Not God's agenda. Here's my agenda. First off, I'm going to add zeros to your bank account. After that, I'm going to get you all new cars. I'm going to get you a smoking hot bride or or husband. I'm going to get you all these things, and life's going to be good, and we're going to take over the world. Like, if he came in his own name, they were even okay with John the baptizer. It's like, John the baptizer is like, I'm I'm here to, to pave the way of the Lord, but he's still a man, and they were okay with that. But who wants a God that gets murdered? Who wants a God that's unpopular to the point where people yell, crucify him? They would have been okay if they had a God that served their needs, that met their expectations, that made them feel good, that wouldn't expose their sin, that wouldn't convict them. How can we stay prideful when we see our Savior who has been slaughtered? How is there any way we continue to worship ourselves when we see Christ who was crucified? God etches those things out. He's hit the nerve. We desire to be worshipped. Guys, you go to Starbucks, and I know because I work there, they, they, they train you to say, the customer is always right. The customer is not always right. I'll just say, I don't work there anymore. They're not always right. In fact, half the time they're wrong. But you know what? We have to worship man. We have to worship the approval of men. We want their money. We want their time. We want their devotion. So we're going to say, you know, I, I'm just going to do whatever you want so that I can get your money, so that I can get your worship and affection. So then I can go and take my money and I can go worship Toyota. Or I can go worship Apple. Or I can go worship the ocean. Or I can go worship a girl or a guy. You guys see how, how deep this, this idolatry really does root? What does God say? The first commandment shall have no other gods before me. Man, that's, 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 Jesus, it's like the heart of, of worship here. We love power, we love glory, we love worship. Jesus didn't. Jesus came in humility, in the will of his own father. But let me just say this as an encouragement. You know you are getting closer to Jesus when you begin to think less of yourself. You know you are getting closer and growing closer to Jesus when you begin to think less about yourself and more about Jesus. Like John the baptizer, you can say, I must decrease and he must increase through me. This isn't about me or my swag, but it's about him and his glory. It's not about me and how far, how awesome, or how great I can be, but it's about how much can I make of his name? How much can I point to how great he is? Because We're sinners to our core. We like to be worshipped. But you know what? As God is changing us and regenerating our hearts, we in turn worship him. Now why is self-glory in worship the biggest enemy of unbelief? Because if if we were to take a survey in here, and we were to ask, what is the biggest enemy of faith? You would say doubt. Wrong. Doubt is not the biggest enemy of faith. Self-glory is the biggest enemy of faith. Now, why is that? Because faith at its core, true faith, gives glory to Jesus. 
So self-worship, not doubt, self-worship is your greatest enemy. And the person you do to worship is your remedy. That's Jesus. And see, when your soul is filled with the living water that Jesus offers, no other wells are appetizing. Nothing else even comes close because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He is so good and he loves me so much and he loves you so much. He's just good. And he, and he loves me even when I've been that adulterous bride to, towards him. And when I've cheated on him and I've worshipped man and, and loved the praise of man and the approval of man other than God's love and approval for me, he still cares for me. And my sin, past, present, and future has been washed clean because of faith in him. And you can either, either seek the approval of man or receive the approval of God. It's one or the other. It's you worship self or you worship God. That is the core problem to who we are. And we all struggle with it and we're all becoming more like Christ. And Jesus says, you cannot believe. We can't believe. You're unable to. And 1 John 4.10 says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. See, we may have not chosen to love God, but he has certainly chosen to love you. And you believe in him, you put your faith in him, you're going to experience eternal life because he loved you first while you were sinning and spitting in his face. God loved you. He's given his grace to you. And now we can enjoy life powered by the Holy Spirit. We don't have to excuse our sin excuse our mistakes, try to manage our sin and focus on our sin. But we could focus on the glorious power for, of Jesus and the righteous life that he has given to us. We don't have to stress about our failures anymore because we can focus on his victories. Guys, God's righteousness supersedes our own condemnation. You aren't condemned anymore because his righteousness is bigger than your condemnation. And because our identity now is in the righteousness of Jesus as a believer, it's not about what I've done anymore, but it's about what he's done. It's not about how holy I am, but it's about how holy he is. It's not about how sinless I can be, but how perfect he is. And he gives that to me because it's not about Jesus. It's all about him. Or it's not about us. It's all about him. And I pray that we would become more like Jesus said in verse 30. Not my own will, but his will. It's not about me, it's about God. It's not about us, it's about Jesus. Not me, but him. To his glory, forever and ever. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus and answer any questions. If you'd like to support the gospel going out through Shorebreak, you can click the Give button at shorebreakchurch.com.
You can give a one-time gift, a recurring gift, or whatever God puts on your heart. Mahalo.